Hello, 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 hello. It's good to see you. Say hello. Welcome to the Huskies Hockey Podcast. I'm Weldy sitting with Andrew here. Uh, a little bit of a uh, interesting weekend here for Huskies hockey uh, on the men's team. Women's team were off, but they got a huge week uh, coming up ahead of them. Uh, so we'll, we'll we'll touch on that as well a little bit later in the show. Uh, Huskies lose first night against Michigan two nothing, uh, and then end up rallying back for a three to three tie. And um, it was I don't I don't know about you. Um, but I felt like it was a masterclass lesson in how to beat yourself uh, because I felt like both games that uh, Huskies were uh, really outplaying Michigan. Michigan didn't blow me away in any aspects. Uh, I thought a lot of the uh, majority of the play was controlled by the Huskies, uh, what we couldn't convert and they were able to convert on some chances. And uh, I think the, outcomes made it look like Michigan was a little bit better of a team than I think they actually are. Yeah. Yeah. The Friday game was certainly a frustrating game. Um, I thought fairly even, uh, I actually think the, uh, looking at the advanced metrics, the even strength shot attempts were exactly the same. And so pretty, pretty even down the middle, but I, I will say the, I think the grade A chances were, the majority of those were for St. Cloud and their inability to bury at least one of these chances uh, really went, came back to bite them. And cause I think that's a game where first goal kind of yeah. takes real control. And, you know, it took until what seven, eight minutes into the third period for Michigan to get that first goal of the game. Uh, and it was, yeah, I don't know. Frustrating. I, I mentioned like last week about how I kind of figured Michigan would take the first game, but I sort of was thinking it's going to be maybe St. Cloud's going to come out a little heavy with the legs and, you know, Michigan being, tra- you know, traveling across the holiday and maybe can have a little bit more focus on the affair for the weekend. That really wasn't the case. I thought St. Cloud especially came out strong the first five, 10 minutes of the first period, you know, hitting a post real early. Um, and it was, so I was impressed with St. Cloud's, I think, jump. Uh, and like I said, we're, we're able to generate, I thought a lot of great scoring chances, but just were unable to, to score on a goalie. And we mentioned this as well. It's really their big weak spot. Um, Atlantic hockey's <laughs> finest last year, at least the, uh, the one goalie to make the tournament and not able to, to, to lose to Michigan. I, which I get, I expected it, but to lose two nothing yeah. is the real frustrating part. Cause it's like, yeah, at least got to throw something on a 900 save percentage goaltender and you had plenty of chances, but he was, um, Credit to him, I suppose, rising to the challenge. I um, I'm surprised more NCHC teams haven't picked up on that. Um, at least as a backup, just um, just for the St. Cloud, if you have four games against St. Cloud, bring in an Atlantic Hockey transfer because uh, they'll find a right. way to just stymie them. And uh, we haven't been able to 
to reliably uh, beat an Atlantic hockey team and or a hockey goaltender in you know so long. Um, but yeah, it was um, you know a couple posts, couple of great A's. Okabe still on his slump, can't buy a goal. Um, so that that kind of continues, and then you had you know the two goals that were kind of given up uh, there in the in the third uh, TJ Hughes's goals again, you know, that was an instance where we had about two or three failed clears couldn't get out of the zone. And I think it was Falk who tried to glove down the puck who was ended up going, gloving it right down to a Michigan player. Um, and you know, just a couple seconds later, it was in the back of the net. So I mean, it was just those kind of chances. And then Peart, um, you know, you buy the ticket, you ride the ride. We've talked about that before, his mistakes. He stepped out right in front of Bassey, turned the puck over uh, when he was trying to be too cute getting up the ice, and uh, a quick backhand shot beats Bassey, who I thought Bassey actually, I thought he played really strong all weekend. Um, it was, um, you know, Friday's game, I don't blame him on, you know, both of those. You know, defense has to clear the zone, um, and you can't, skate right in front of your net you learn that in peewees um uh, but i'll get to him also in this when we talk about the saturday game because i i don't really fault him for any of those goals um even though you know we can kind of say you know high glove or high blocker and that's his kryptonite and whatnot but um you know we we go ahead and get down two to nothing and you know obviously we're not you know, I'm not feeling good, but I mean, it's 20 seconds later after Peart gets his uh, pocket picked, you know, Larson says, go out there, you know, shake it off, try to, you know, make a play again. And then he gets called for tripping. So he gets sent to the penalty box. Um, and then later on that period, which is a call I very much don't agree with, uh, was the Jack Rogers interference call. Um, when he got hit, but he stood up and therefore he got a penalty. Um, so I, I mean, that was, I mean, I don't, I don't know what Rogers was supposed to do in that situation, how he got called for it, but I mean, it was too little, too late. You can tell we weren't going to be able to pull that game out, but I mean, it's just, you know, with the, with Pierce penalty late, Pierre giving the goal away, Falk gloving it right to the, it was just, it was you ended up beating yourself and then combine that with all of the chances you had that you couldn't connect on. Yeah. That was kind of just a recipe for disaster. Even though, like I said, I liked overall minus the face off dot. I really liked how they played. Um, so, and that's again, sh- lines a little bit shaken up. He had, um, uh, we still have Solquist uh, who's out. Um, you had uh, uh, Ewert, uh, there's uh, they're playing in defense. Um, a Sean Rosborough Ryman line uh, kind of back together as they they were there with um, the second game against Minnesota Duluth as well. So lines still kind of shaken up. Um, there's a couple of changes I I kind of like to make and like to see, um, but overall it was just kind of a frustrating that that again two nothing. You don't expect to 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 lose to Michigan to two nothing you know i expected a six to four game in there somewhere and that just uh that just didn't come to fruition and you had mentioned too coming in scoreless coming into the third period what did you say last week michigan 
struggles in the third mm-hmm. period. And conversely, St. Cloud's been a pretty good third period team this year. So factor that in with, I think, the advantage in grade well, A opportunities. You're kind of thinking pretty well, good. Well, we did the, see that on Saturday. Coming in. <laughs> we did see that on Saturday, yes. Um, but uh, inability to kind of take control of that game when it was kind of waiting for somebody to take care, take control of it uh, was certainly disappointing. Yeah. The, uh, the unraveling of that game reminded me of the end of the Alaska loss. Um, Maybe the most frustrating loss of this year where it just goes from bad to worse to terrible sort of in a quick succession there. Yeah. Not, not the best um, sequence there for Peart um, taking the uh, penalty shortly after coughing up a, uh, the puck right in front of the net. Um, as you said, I mean, I've, I've, I've been a little critical of, of Peart over the years. Oh, just a little uh, bit. He just does just that play bit. way too often. And if you're saying, well, you know, that's, you get the highs and the lows offensive defenseman, you know, this is what you get. And I'm looking at Jack Peart now, uh, three points, uh, throughout the yeah. year. And so, uh, we're not seeing the offense. Um, I think he's been better defensively. You've mentioned, you probably noticed, maybe you haven't, but I really haven't picked on him too much because I think over the last month he's been pretty good. This sort of play reminds me of the the um, the, the downsides uh, of his play. And if we're not going to get the um, counterbalance of uh, a good amount of offense, these kind of plays especially mm-hmm. stick out. Uh, and so, but I've and then the I've also felt this like he's done this play a couple of times and I've had a couple of butt clinching moments with him over the last couple and it just hasn't burned him yet. So he's, he's done this. I mean, in his St. Cloud career, it's like an average of like once a month during the season, he'll do something like this. Maybe not as egregious as three feet in front of the goal, but you know, spring a guy at the blue line for a breakaway or, you know, something like this where it's just a, you know, an embarrassing and I cough up turnover, just does it way too frequently for me for a for a defenseman of his kind of supposed skill, and so it's uh, it's disappointing to see that, and that kind of put the nail in the coffin. You're kind of thinking, all right, three minutes to, and change to go. When are we going to pull Bassey? And and never were able to do that with a one goal uh, deficit. And then after the second goal goes in, then you're thinking, all right, well, I got to pull him earlier now. And never really able to do that either yeah. because he had to put, kill the penalty after that. Uh, not a good period for the, uh, the Jacks there. Three straight penalties for each of the Jacks in the third period. Ryman before that. And then Peart and, and Rogers, as you mentioned, I call that a Jack trip, but um, it's a, that's <laughs> trip Jacks. Um, and one of them and went, one of them went for too, tripping. So. Exactly. So, <laughs> Um, yeah, it was, uh, I don't know, a frustrating cause yeah. And for as much as I thought the first two periods played pretty well, um, that left a, a sour taste in my mouth and, um, that's yeah. When you backload the badness, there's a title of a podcast backloading the badness that especially kind of, it makes you sort of forget about the good stuff. And when I went back to just kind of do the replay pattern, highlight package, reminded me just how much um, St. Cloud had these great a opportunities and just weren't able to bury them. Yeah. And I do it throughout the weekend and get into Saturday here as well. I did think Michigan was getting some fortunate bounces Um, that Falk play. 
he bats it down and then it sort of kicks off a Michigan player's leg, I think, right, right to Hughes, who's kind of left an open net in front of him. That was an unfortunate play, although, as you said, set up by the fact that you're unable to clear the zone there after a couple of chances, uh, certainly frustrating. Um, and, you know, going in like the Saturday game, that second goal for Michigan, kind of a high arcing, just bounce. That was, fluke goal. Yeah, that was Grant. Um, or that was the Sean trying to clear it. And it just trickled, popped way up and ended up, uh, kind of one of those fluke plays that went behind Bassey. Then there was a play later in the game where they, I think it just a clearing attempt, hit a stanchion on the back glass, kind of kicked out right. I felt like there was a prime scoring chance. They had a couple of, they had several amount of those. And then St. Cloud had a little bit of puck luck too. We'll get to that. But, um, well, there was, um, I thought a couple of that. I felt like there were a lot of like players stumbling, falling on the ice, just open eyes. I don't know. So I, I don't know if, uh, skates were sharpened incorrectly or if just the ice was choppy or what was going on. We did see probably the, the, the loosest ah, um, action of the, of the net. That's true. The uh, prop so bet. far this year. So I think that was what, three times. It, yeah. Um, at I least think. it was, it was at least more knockoffs this weekend than there was the whole season combined. Yeah. Cause there, there've been one or two, but not any of the ones where it's like just a goaltender the, the sliding previous. Over. Uh, go, yeah, where the other ones were sort of guys running into the net or something like that. This one was more of just the fluky, I didn't mean to do that. And always, again, always on the far side by the uh, Zamboni doors. It's always on that end of the rink, too. So uh, so that was a little strange. But but yeah, uh, so if you want to go into yeah, let's pivot. To Saturday, did you have anything more about Friday Nope, I guess I, just, I, I I did want to throw it out there too. If we're going to do the whole weekend, so I, was this like a surprise announcement about the uniforms? Um, I think so. Like I didn't see any type of hype beforehand, and even the hype that they have, there's no thing on sale. Like I don't know, it just kind of feels like a really weird rollout. Like to have the hype of the jerseys coming out, which, you know, I've got minor quibbles with, but overall, I really like them. I really like the Skating Husky logo. Um, But, like, when you unleash the jerseys like that, like, put it on stuff and have that stuff available as well. So I don't understand, like, you strike while the iron's hot and have that stuff in the gift shop for you or or the the gift, you know, 10 by 12 feet that you have uh, there for, for selling merchandise. But, like, like capitalize on that. And I, I just think not having that, especially before a holiday, I, like, I don't know. It just, it, it seemed odd. And I understand if you can't get it like that, but then why rush to have the jerseys out? I don't know. It was just kind of a weird, I don't know, calamity, maybe not calamity, but just a weird assortment of like weird things happen. It reminds me of Nintendo. You know, so like Nintendo, I'm a big Nintendo fan, but sometimes they just hate making money. Sometimes they like they don't release games in in good franchises or they don't. And and it's just kind of like, why would you do that, Nintendo, when you could do it just this way and make a lot more money? And it's just like, I feel like this way for the university, too, is like, I feel like you could have, you know, really struck gold with this and having the, the hype of the jerseys at the same time. Um, 
but you know, they just kind of dropped it at New Jersey, which I thought we already had the New Jerseys with just a little bit of a minor redesign that came in late anyway. So I don't that came in late. So I don't know if like that came in, in the same shipment or they had to line that up. I don't know the ins and outs of it, but I just felt like it was a missed opportunity that I couldn't buy something with the skating husky logo on it. It just took me by surprise. I didn't know anything about this. I when I saw them on Fridays, I was like, "Is this just a one-off?" I was somewhat surprised to see them wear them both days or both games of the weekend. Is this their like regular home jersey now? Because I feel like that should have been announced. Or is this just going to be this one? Hey, we played Michigan, so we gotta we gotta do something I don't, special. I don't I, think so. I think it's kind of just like an alternate jersey, just like our Reds. I think it's just an alternate home jersey to have. Which I'm not opposed to. I You, I think, like these better than I do. I think that I just think the, the skating Husky is too small. Like when I saw it on Friday on TV, it's you kind of got to squint. It's it's uh, I think it, it would be better served. If it was larger on the jersey. Well, but, you um, made, I'm, I'm you made a good point, too, of the when we were talking, because, Andrew, you made you made a visit. Uh, you, you came back to St. Cloud, uh, you were at the Saturday game and, uh, you know, we had the joy of, uh, of watching, you know, uh, most of the game together, um, you know, kind of a blast from, from the past. So it was, uh, it was obviously, it was good to see you not going to lie. I forgot how tall you are. Um, so that kind of caught me by surprise, but I was like, oh, that, that, that's right. He is tall. Um, and I'm six one, so that's uh, that, that's kind of that's kind of saying something for me. I don't have to look up to many people, um, but you know when you were talking about the jerseys, and you know we were talking about how I said I like them. The only thing I don't care for is that the lettering of Saint Cloud State is black fill with red trim, whereas the numbers are red trim or red fill with black trim. I feel like there should be consistency there. Um, but you brought up the fact that's weird too. The, but you brought up the fact also is like it's just the white logo on the white jerseys and it doesn't pop as much. And then now it's almost all I look at. So you might have ruined the jerseys for me. So thank you. But I, I think it's an I think it's a fixable uh, flaw. I mean, I'm not even sure if I would call it a flaw, but either blow it up a little bit, make it a little bit more prominent. I think I mentioned to you, I'd rather have all the lettering, the St. Cloud State lettering on top or on bottom. I don't like splitting it up, St. Cloud and then State. That just might be me, but uh, I think that makes it a little busier than it needs to be. Um, but I'm for a change. Like yeah. We've mentioned, I think, on the show, it's been 10 years basically since they've added something to the closet. I mean, other other than little tweaks here and there, like they tweaked the, the numbering um, a couple years ago, four or five years ago. It's a different font in the name plates and the the numbers are a little different and now this year they sort of inverted the color scheme on those numbers so little tweaks here and there but no no real wholesale changes for a while and um so i like the the new addition um or at least the the revival because this is a you know throwback obviously and they're they're doing so well wearing this i mean they, the first time they got these throwbacks they it was the, the infamous perbix uh <laughs> jersey tugging on the jersey so still winless uh-huh. in the three games that they've worn these uh in, in what that was 2021 i believe mm. um so i need to need to get these jerseys out into uh winning uh, get get a win need a seance. Them. i guess that's the next a ouija board uh to but exercise the demons. Um, the, I mean, still not 
you know, I, I, it's up there for me as far as jersey designs. The women's reds still number one in my book um, as, as the best jersey St. Cloud State has to offer. But um, which again, that's the thing about I can't what, buy. I would love to buy one. Right? <laughs> Please, St. Cloud, right. let me give you money. <laughs> it's just you think you see the the St. Cloud C and then like the Michigan M. Obviously, that's certainly iconic, but big letter it stands out on the jersey like there's no needing to squint when you're watching it on tv that's what i like about that i'm not even like you know like i like the this sdc um but it is stolen like it, it isn't exactly original um so it's not something that i'm married to but i just like the uh, the it's got an eye-catching appeal and it's obvious i don't need to hunt and peck for it and so i think there's yeah, I'm not going to say don't use it, but you can maybe tweak that a little bit. I feel like the people that really like it, it's it's the skating husky. Yeah. So just do a little, just use that and make it better, and then make something new and good. I like it out of, uh, better than just, what it is. So just I did want to touch like, on that because like we everyone, have. all of our listeners, love our fa- the fashion mm-hmm. um, the f- critique for for anything that we talk about uh jersey or logo related so i did want to have that for those fans oh, i appreciate it when you were in town uh were you able to contact uh gritty st cloud for the new tour uh and the new uh look at all of the uh everything that changed while you were um since you've been gone because it's been what five six years it had been so- a while and it's really annoying um i did call them <laughs> and oh no i called them six or seven times all i got was like <laughs> it was it was like seven times ringing and then they their machine picked up and oh, was it even a busy it's like we are closed we are closed for the holiday uh, weekend i mean small business did i guess like, i can understand but not like a black friday special but or they, something i don't know but they gave a number and they said we do special occasions if you're in town um just for this weekend we if we have enough interest leave your name and number. And I did that. I kept calling and kept calling. I started on, on Friday. Yeah. I came up on Saturday, but I planned ahead yeah. because I really you wanted, wanted to, to take the tour, see what I see uh. return to the grittiness. Um, and <laughs> not only did I not get a call back, um, but every time I would, would call the number, they kept giving me like the name and no, an address of one of their sponsors. <laughs> so it's kind of like, they're trying to give me to piece together the tour on my own. They did tell me that the, there's a Dunkin' Donuts in town okay. and yeah. um, and that I was able to swing by the Dunkin' Donuts. I wasn't able to get to up, up and smoke. And you know how I dig me some yeah, barbecue. Yeah. But at least I, I just I appreciated that. But at the same time, it was a little chintzy yeah, with doing this on a on a on a machine yeah. and um, and no return call. Still, still I mean, I, I still haven't received any return yeah. calls, at least maybe try to, to get some sort of free ticket for, for the future of some, cause I really feel like they dropped the yeah, ball a little that's bit. That's unfortunate because like, we want to like give our podcast for our sponsors as well. Like the best experience. Well, I, and just to hear that when I, tough. when I read, you know, one of our, the reads from one of our great sponsors, I, I don't want to be just blowing hot air. Yeah. You know, I, I, I want it to come from the heart. And I'd still take your money, Gary, but this, <laughs> y- you really should have, you really should have 
at least just call at least, it back. At least right? to it's going to be hard. Yeah. So. We might have to do double oh, next time. Yep. Um, for the ad rate, but, uh, so. but yeah, that was, that was disappointing, but still was able to see God, so no. much okay. of the, that beautiful town. And especially especially there because they got the uh the iron street distillery right there on the east side um and the tour goes right by and talks about the amtrak um as well as going up in the junkyard there and it's right it, yes, it's, it's all right, right by there. the like, there's an actual fascinating you know little uh detail about the history of the junkyard so and the junkyard dog so but that was, was one of the biggest the main the main parts that i yeah. wanted to to catch up on it's just disappointing right. so game two um and it was a like a, you know after after game one I, I felt you know optimistic about the huskies and how they were playing and i was like okay just a couple of bounces um and then you know early on it was you know they they got a goal within the first two minutes um you had uh tyler duke able to kind of put one away on a screenshot um from bassy yeah. and like there were four or five guys like all in a line and it was it was kind of a weak wrister but at the same time i mean it was fast enough where you know bassy had a fourth of a second to try to react to it in front of that many people and just couldn't like i don't really blame him for that and um, but it was, it, it was really deflating, kind of let the wind out of my sails for a little bit. Um, but again, Huskies got quite a few chances. I think we outshot them quite a bit there in the first, uh, first period. Um, and then a little floater, um, you know, like I said, Ashan tries to clear it, pinballs around, goes up and above Bassy, but behind the net or, you know, or behind him and then into the net on kind of his back and then into the net, kind yeah. of a fluke goal there. Um, and so then, I mean, you're looking, you know, uh, 12 to five on shots. We're down to nothing. And it was just like, God, it's like, I, I just, again, I didn't, I wasn't blown away by Michigan. I didn't think they were that much faster. I didn't think that they were that much better, but, um, again, I felt like it was another instance of us just kind of beating ourselves a little bit. Um, then, uh, the power play, uh, the other Duke boy, Dylan Duke, um, on the power play, able to get, uh, get behind the defense. And again, it was a couple of failed clears again. It's it, I feel like a broken record, always saying it, but we had our chances there to, to clear the zone. They made a stand and we just leave a guy in front of the net, able to put one in. And at that time, um, you know, I just kind of felt like it, this wasn't going to go our way because up until then, you know, we hadn't shown anybody that could finish um, at all. And I think there was a point also where we we're like, did we ever think that we would be missing Mason Salquist? And that's where we were at. Because, um, you know, they did a little bit of a shakeup. Alcoin, who I forgot about, um, right. you know, he got into the lineup. Molinar dropped down with the Mietnins on the 3M line, which I don't really care for after watching them um, together. So I, I think that was, I think they can bust that line uh, back up. They uh, put Okabe there on the front with Gross and Kupka, maybe try to spark something there. And I, I didn't think that, you know, much happened there. And I just uh, was just a little bit deflated. But then, you know, we, we get on the penalty kill and then 
Um, Mietnan was able to pop one on an absolute laser late in the second um, that popped in and out so quickly that the uh, ref had to kind of second guess, yeah. wave it off first, and then, nope, that was in. Um, so, but after after that goal, you know, three to one, I kind of thought, okay, Michigan has trouble in the third period. I thought we were going to come back. Um, and uh, sure enough, right away in the, in the, uh, in the, in the third period, we get a power play chance and the power play is something I wanted to bring up, especially here because all weekend we were a one trick pony on the power play. We were feeding me for the one timer and it just hasn't connected. And to the point to where it now shots before, like it's getting to the point where either the goalie is completely reading it. It's just so obvious that it's coming, that the goalie is there already you know, in a position where it's not going to be a goal or even the defender is right there, ready to block that shot. And so it's like, that's not effective at all. And I felt like for the first couple of penalties or the power plays that we had throughout that game, we just kept trying it, kept trying. And it's like, we got to do something to shake this up. And it was incredibly frustrating to just see it happen over and over again without any type of plan B. Um, and, and then sure enough, we go to a plan B um, where we reverse it to the other side um, and maybe a fortunate bounce our way um, where it was up, uh, kind of popped up in the air. Kupka was able to baseball bat, swing it in and sure enough, get the goal three to two. And I'm thinking we got this game like the way we were playing towards the end. We were like, this is like, like we just felt we were going to have the momentum. Michigan, again, not a great third period team. I thought we were going to be able to come back and win it. I think I said as yep. much to you in real time. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, that that rewinding a little bit to that Mietnan goal, a big a big turning point in the game because yep. down three nothing and on the power play. Should mention a good performance by the penalty kill this weekend for the Huskies. Mm-hmm. I mean, Michigan came into this series as the number one power play unit in the country, thirty five percent, just one power play goal on the weekend, um, which obviously was huge. And I'd say. The Miettinen goal was, was a, a huge turning point. I'd say the other big turning point was the five-minute major kill. Yeah. Um, shortly after uh, Kupka makes it three to two, Rosborough checking from behind penalty, kind of an obvious call. Obvious call. Like right away, it was like there's – I, I think I tweeted too. I was like, it looked five live. <laughs> like live, it was like not a good call. And I think Brett Larson in his coach's show too was like, yeah, that was an obvious call. Rosborough knows that. Mm. And whatnot. So, and so he gets the gate for the rest of the game, you know. And we'd been mentioning already shorthanded at center with uh, with Salquist out. Correction: I thought that I had heard on the broadcast last week that it, he had caught the uh, illness, whatever the bug that was been going around. Uh, no, it's an injury, hip, according to my source, um, but expected to be back in Omaha. So. Uh, let's hope he is uh, ready to go because as you mentioned, his presence uh, was surely missed this, uh, this weekend. Um, faceoffs were pretty well controlled by Michigan throughout this weekend. And if you consider the amount of good chances that St. Cloud had, you know, having a guy like right uh, that Salquist maybe win five or six board draws and they end up doing, it could have maybe made the difference um, in them, 
having better result on Friday or maybe coming through with a win on Saturday. I, I don't think it's crazy to think that coming from someone like me who is not known as a Sulquist Stan, uh, <laughs> this was a um, instance where his uh, his contributions were sorely missed. We should mention too, Michigan was not fully healthy as well. Yeah. Rutger McGrory was uh, is out. He's going to be out for uh, a while. They also have this Marcus Stapa, more of a, a depth guy for them, also is injured. So Michigan wasn't full strength either. Um, and the but, uh, first uh, guy you mentioned, that's going to have World Junior implications as well because he yeah. was projected to be on that roster. So um, one of their better players. Mm-hmm. So so that was certainly a a, a, a missed, uh, you know, a guy that Michigan missed for this weekend. But so those, I think, big turning points because able to, to kill that five-minute major, I've said it here before, five-minute majors are – so key because they can either provide momentum swings, either obviously in the case of the team scoring one or more of the power play goals on that, or in this case, a, a good kill from St. Cloud, you know, killing it off and keeping you in that game. Um, and, you know, St. Cloud had a power play opportunity late as well. Couldn't cash in again. Um, their power play, uh, aside from the Kupka, um, I don't know, uh, ground ball base hit, I guess, <laughs> uh, was a struggle this weekend. You see where that, you know, but who was it? Was that gross with the shot? And then it was the rebound Correct. to, yep. um, I thought gross played, played well again. And especially if he's going to be stepping up, um, Werner did not have the best weekend in the face off dot gross was better. He wasn't great, but he was about 50, 50 and, he's come up with some big plays, not just in the face-off circle with gaining possession, but also helping to generate some offense. And not only that goal, but the uh, game tying goal uh, also from Kupka, but uh, we should talk about this, obviously. I mean, we're, we got a pretty good spot. I, I picked a nice spot uh, on the, on the aisle there. Uh, we were right at about the blue line. Roughly, um, so it had been the blue line closest to St. Cloud's offensive zone for the third period. So we're we're got a clean look, and you know, face off about 15 seconds left or so. And uh, talking about St. Cloud's failed clear yeah. attempts, Michigan has a good clearing attempt. It's almost it, it was less. I think seeing it again on the replay, it was less of a poor clearing attempt than a. Great save at the great, line by Anhorn. Great by Anhorn. Just magnificent. Didn't get it's, it's kind of a didn't get the assist on um, the second or the third goal, but I think his puck movement, you know, maybe a little bit less important on the second goal, but definitely his save on the third to keep that play alive uh, really was the key to the game. Right, and then and he didn't really have even full control, and Gross sort of picked up the bouncing puck at that point too flings it into the towards the goal. Okadi's got a great whack at it. And then Kupka whacks away at it and it ends up going off of Seamus Casey, the uh, Michigan defender. Um, but uh, Kupka gets the credit for the goal and place goes nuts. Nine seconds and change to go nine seconds away from getting swept. And that um, salvages the weekend. I mean, as as regulation ended, I turned to you and said, let's get this overtime win because biggest flaw in the pairwise, yes, teams get, you know, we got the 66-33 overtime split 
which doesn't factor in then the additional home and road tilts. And if you've lost me, congratulations. <laughs> That's what the NCAA is trying to do. Sorry. But they're big. It's college hockey. Big we don't flaw. want you to be a the fan. Big, we want you to be confused. <laughs> Their big flaw there, though, is in the pairwise, yes, that's the case for the RPI, how they figure out the RPI rating. Um, but in head-to-head, yeah. uh, overtime win counts just the same as a regulation win, which makes no sense. It doesn't um, – it's inconsistent if you're counting it differently in the RPI. But in the eyes of the uh, – Head-to-head comparisons in pairwise, an overtime win is the same as a regulation win. So winning in overtime would have been mighty big um, which, and had some decent chances, but we're unable to do that. Got to settle for a tie. Yep. Which, you know, one of the big things that I think a misconception about pairwise is just the fact that literally the pairwise is a number of how many other teams you beat. In a in a head to head comparison, and it goes down to three different factors. Um, but head to head is a a big component of that. Um, and so or common opponents or as well. Common, I mean, it's, it's one and yep. for both. I mean, so if this if you're matching up against the Gophers, for instance, who obviously play Michigan as well, you know, Saint Cloud win in overtime would have meant a one and one in the common opponents that you would have played against the Gophers as well. Which, I mean, we saw that with, with Northeastern last year. I think there was, I mean, they were kind of getting screwed when they were still sort of in pairwise position by their common opponents. Mm-hmm. They had like tied Bentley. And because of that, they lost a bunch of comparisons to other Hockey East teams or other teams who had played Bentley. And that was really screwing them for a while. And so having getting like a, a the win in overtime would have been key Maybe it's not the difference between making the tournament and not, but in theory, it could be. And yeah, you want every win that you can. And it's, uh, it's one of those things that we can definitely go mark down in in late February um, when we've got oh, sure. when we've got the uh, uh, CHN pairwise predictor matrix probability whatever. You know, we can we can switch the season to use that uh, that sound up that sounder. Yeah, right. uh, with, with the explosion. Um, don't don't ruin it for the fans who haven't heard it yet. Just you got to wait till about February for that. But yeah, we'll be able to to calculate how much that hurt and how much the St. Thomas loss hurt and the Mankato loss. Yeah. We'll be able to play a lot with that uh, with that tool because. Um, you know, I was doing some research and I apologize to everyone because my head hurts now, but, um, you know, right now our non-conference record looks bad. Uh, we're two, five and one, um, officially in non-conference and, uh, and again, overtime losses, same as regular losses as, as far as like the head to head and the common opponents and whatnot. So, so that's, technically the official record. So I, I wanted to look back to see the last time we had a non-conference record that was under 500. Do you have a guess on when that was? Well, I brought it up last show when I, I mentioned the 12-13 team had a terrible run in non-conference and it almost cost them even with winning the WCHA regular yep. season title. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that. Yep, you are correct. Or I guess it could have been one of those bad, like the bad Larson year. Which I'm sure they weren't very good. There, there was. Well, that was like, yeah, they lost like Princeton. Yeah, nineteen twenty. Yeah. We were th- we were even that one. I think three three and 
four, I think. We had a lot of ties. It's a crap ton of ties. So, um, but yeah, so yeah, it's the 12, 13 year where we did end up going to the Frozen Four. So, um, uh, so I guess a little bit of silver lining, uh, but obviously with only two non-conference games uh, left, the two games against Bemidji, and we're two five and one. We're going to be under five hundred again this year, or this year for the for the first time in in a decade, decade plus. And also, it was the first time since twenty sixteen that we were shut out at home on Friday which was really uh, kind of an interesting tidbit that I heard on the coach's show, I think. So um, I do want to say something about the shootout though. And uh, it was, I was there, obviously I don't, I don't, I don't, I think you headed, did you head out before the shootout happened or were you still in the building at that time? I was heading I out. I, I was, you know, we were on the way out yeah. and they ended up winning. So the shootout, like, so I was in the building. I yes. will I will first and foremost say I am always team tie. And in a tie, no shootouts, even no three-on-three hockey. You know, I'm like purist. Ties aren't the end-all, be-all evil that everyone thinks it is. But if the game is going this way, like just straight up, it, there was a lot of energy after the Huskies win, something that means absolutely zero. There was a lot of emotion from the players on that. There was the crowd got really into it. I um, when I left, I had to explain to the people who were working at um, Hollenbeck Hall at the gymnasium for campus rec that we technically didn't win or <laughs> because of just how goofy the whole situation is. Um, so even though I am against shootouts overall and like that's the way the game's going and we, it just needs to evolve. And, and like if the fans like it as a majority and it got the pop and it got the excitement, you gotta have it incorporated and mean something. I have kind of changed my tune when it comes to that. And I don't, you know, the way, the best way I thought about it um, over the last couple of days is just have a diminishing returns. You know, if it's a 66 percent for an overtime three on three win go to a 55 45 for a shootout win or something along those lines where it's just have it worth at least something that the fans and the people will stay and cheer for and be excited about and it's just a lot easier to explain yes it's a win or a loss um if you're not going to go with a tie or anything like that then just kind more so lean into the fact that it is an actual result because there was just a lot of energy in the building. And for that to actually mean nothing was, is just unfortunate in my opinion. Well, that's what it's for, right? It's for the fans. So they were happy. And the purists can be happy that we can dismiss it as being meaningless. So everybody wins. I would hate to have it count for any sort of pairwise points in any scenario. No, I'm, I'm thinking about just ease of the fans and ease of explaining it and everything along those lines. You got to make this game I simpler. That, I thought that the shootouts were not getting pop. I thought they were waning in popularity. Not judging that's, by the like pop in that building. Clown hockey. I've, not judging by the building. That building was rocking after Cooper scored that shootout goal. And, All right, so if they would have lost the shootout, then you would have... Then you'd have left. Everybody's moping, and ugh, we lost. But hey, you actually tied. 
then then you use the the truth of the pairwise system and saying, "Hey, head up." <laughs> You actually, you actually uh, tied. You didn't, you didn't lose. Just, that was actually meaningless. I, I, I just feel like the, the melancholy of that, of that versus the upside of it being really exciting and it means something. I think it just that's how the game has gone in the NHL as well. Perhaps too, and I think that perhaps you should count for something. Perhaps this was the rarity as well, where. The shootout was fairly entertaining. I think there was what three or four <laughs> goals all told. I mean, oh yeah. Would your would your um, argument be any different if we had one of these nineteen rounders uh, with zero goals until the final round? I mean, or probably. Did, but my experience, my experience would have been completely different. I mean, how often do you have that Miami situation where you just never score a goal? We had it a couple of weeks ago with uh, Harvard and Dartmouth, right? I mean, that's Harvard and Dartmouth. Of course, you're going to have it with them. Have an Ivy League test or whatever to settle games over there out east. I don't know what they do. So, I think it was somebody, was it, was it McMahon? Someone was writing about that shootout and saying, basically, just get rid of shootouts. And um, I think he was saying something like, well, they're, they're not going to because they're just bound to whatever the NHL does, which it's like, well, I, I understand that there's a lot of there's a lot in college hockey that tries to replicate what the NHL does, but there's a lot that college hockey does without yeah. uh, the NHL. Uh, they don't do the uh, delayed penalty. If you score during delayed penalty, you keep the power play. They don't do if you shoot the puck in the crowd that it's an automatic yeah, delay. That game. I don't think they don't have full argument. face masks. No. Uh, the safety concerns. Um, there's a lot. I mean, this is a sport college hockey that took until 1972 to allow offensive zone checking. And that was like one of the biggest reasons that no college player ever sniffed the NHL prior to then. So it's like this sports used to define itself in opposition to the NHL. Now we've got to just sell out to whatever the stupid NHL wants to do. I, I feel make your own, go your own way. Do a Fleetwood Mac. All right, Stevie Nicks. Let's there you go. Which is why I again, say, I am team tie, which is, I know very counter inactive or counter. Like, you can't be team tie and team hey shootouts are cool, man. Like wrong. you got to pick a side. Wrong. Here. No, I definitely can be because I am team. This is how I want it, but I understand that's not how the way the game and how to gain popularity. Like if I if I changed my side of it, I'm glad we're having a healthy argument here because it seems like we agree almost too much. I think, like from my perspective, the non-conference the shootouts not an argument. The non-conference shootouts I feel have struck me as especially meaningless. This weekend perhaps would have would have changed that because, like you said, the fans left in a rush. The the players seem to enjoy it. So, like I said, everyone kind of wins. I no one got hurt. You know, it's it's kind of meaningless, but there's they're kind of harmless. So why not? But I really wouldn't want them to count in any tangible way in the pairwise. That's where I would sort of stop short of but if you I want just, to continue it fine it just because you're you are going to have a segment of fans who are who are unsatisfied with the tie and they need something to to break the tie and if you can get deliver uh, that to the to the home fans in that specific situation i'm for it but i i really because then you get into the 55 45 you get in the previous 
uh, flaw, which is why they changed it to 66, 33 a couple years ago is if a home team wins the shootout, they actually get fewer pairwise points than the losing team because of the, uh, 80% home weighting of the uh, pairwise results and the 1.2 weighting of the road results. If this doesn't make any sense to you, listener, <laughs> I, um, I'm giving you a hug through the airwaves here it's, because it's not supposed to make sense to the casual fan. But that's why they, that's they well, the first year they had this like overtime. The problem is with the, the home and the winning on the road split, which I have my own issues with. Cause I, I don't like that in general because in, it all evens out. Get good. It, I like it because name. it punishes Penn State. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You've, you've convinced me, actually. <laughs> I flipped my argument. Yes. Anything that pretty punish- much all the Big Ten, it punishes because they're all they're all going. They're all seven games home of their non-conference and okay. it's all home good, against Lindenwood. Good point. I'm in favor. New rule. I'm in favor of any rule that punishes Penn State. So that's that works out. So. See, we we end it on a high note. <laughs> we ended, we ended, ended on it agreement, in accord, and which is what all yes, healthy did. discussions do with some form of agreement. Uh, who's your pal? Which I gotta uh, say was really tough about halfway through the second game. <laughs> yeah, um, let's go, Kupka. Yeah, and that you know, two two goals there to tie it in the third period. Again, that kind of a garbage goal at the end, but no. a real sweet garbage. Yeah, goal. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, I'm and the ground ball base hit. You know, it's he's he's kind of a two sports star here. Um batting cleanup and um swinging for the fences and getting clutch goals to tie games. Speaking of Joe Mauer Michigan. Joe Mauer, Hall of Fame, first year eligibility. Thoughts? Uh I certainly don't think he should be a first time. Our first battle. I, I do not understand. I, I don't under like. I think he's. I thought when he retired, I thought good, not great. He just if he would have if he would have played catcher for about another five years instead of being like a below average first baseman, I think he'd be a shoe in. I just think his his prime is too short. But apparently, all the nerds think that he's like one of the best catchers of all time. So I'm I'm, I'm assuming he's going to get in. But I really don't think he should be a first. A I first I'd never player. understood the issue with first time or three times or whatever. Like if you're in, you're in, I don't know, understand why there should be an even longer waiting period. And the first time should only be for special, super great, amazing players. But I don't know. Baseball writers are weird to me in general voters, but um, yeah, Kupka easy answer as well for me. Um, just, I thought he also, he was the best. Um, I, th- I thought he was, a lot more noticeable on the ice than he has been the past couple of weeks. So uh, it was good to see him really get his motor going. Um, I really liked Gross's game and I've really enjoyed him and his emergence over the past couple of weeks. I, when Salkquist gets healthy, um, I did, did your source give a timeline at all? Um, you said it was hip, right? Expected to be back in Omaha. Oh, okay. Perfect. So, so if that's the case, I'd want I'd want him back with Molinar and Kupka, Salquist, you know, that line, I think yep. together. I want Gross taking Barrett's spot and slide Barrett back to wing. I like that idea. Yeah. And then a gross Hall and Ingram line. And that's actually a reasonable line where I, I think that could 
Where... And then what are you doing, like, cycling Ryman and Rosborough through? I thought Rosborough, again, aside from the major penalty, like on Friday, actually led the team in shots on goal with six. I thought he was, again, worthy of play. Uh, again, maybe the, maybe the five-minute major changes things. But mm-hmm. I don't know, with that rat line, I mean, maybe not setting three guys in stone, but cycling them through at least with like a Sean as being like a common denominator. Yeah. But. I think a Sean earned his playing time. I, oh, sure. I've loved his game. How'd you think so. a coin looked? I, I worthy of another look. I mean, I'm okay with him every once in a while. I don't think it was anything to, to blow my, blow my socks off or anything like that. Uh, but I, I also understand his side of it too. Is like if you're only getting in every once in a while too, it's hard to, you know, get something along those lines. So and it's not like he's getting 20 minutes a game here. Yeah. Like it, it's it's still niche uh, kind of role player minutes. So, but I mean, the good news is I, there was nothing that he did that really ticked me off. So I that's a plus in its own right. So. Um, go Huskies woo. Um, his pal was, uh, he went with Dom, uh, Bassey who there were a couple of big saves that he made and also in overtime as well. One also that clinked off the post, but I thought he was, I thought he, he had a really good weekend. Um, I know though, still like it it was kind of interesting because I listened to the coaches show on Monday. Um, you know, that's kind of one perk about recording on Tuesdays is I could listen to the coach's show and get his thoughts. Um, but, you know, he, when he was asked about um, Bassey and how he played, obviously he said he played incredibly well, but he said how it was, you know, kind of a weird year last year to rotate Bassey and Caster. And he just made it sound like Bassey's just going to be the guy who gets the majority of minutes because he compared it to, I believe Denver and just said how Corona got like all the minutes. So it sounds like this is just going to be the standard. And, which, and you were not nodding along vigorously. I was, I was as, as, as he was saying that. <laughs> yeah. And I just, again, I was like, okay, it, it hasn't, I guess he doesn't have as much PTSD from Rennick and Caster as I do, I guess is what it just comes down to. Cause I think you need to have your goalies at, at least and your other, like some backup goalies play every once in a while. And uh, I, I just feel we're not going to get that. And I, we've been critical of Bassey. I think this weekend though, I think he did play very well. Um, so go as he's woo saying that Dom um, will is his pal. I, I don't disagree with it, uh, but I do feel like we got to see what we have sometime with gray. Um, he came in with a lot of, I think a lot of people talking, um, and I'd like to see what we have. Um, and again, if something were to happen late in the season, I'd want him to at least see some rubber throughout the season. So, and I'm not talking, go with a, a whole, a Jojo split here. I'm talking, you know, once every couple weeks or a couple games, a couple series, something like that, but just something you got to get him in and. I don't know. I, I just, I just don't feel like that's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, a couple thoughts. I I've, I've touched on that in previous shows, how I even like after was it, it was after the Alaska game. That was our, our sort of low spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was probably in agreement. I, 
I'm not sure if I went on air to say that, but I would have been in agreement in saying, let's try to maybe not go into a split tandem, but let's just see what else we got here. Um, but I, but I said at the same time, I wouldn't expect that out of Larson. I just, I, I feel like he's going to use the first half of the year to try to right the ship and that Bass is going to get most, if not all of the starts until the first half. And if they are still a couple games under 500 and maybe close to raising the white flag, then we might see more of a split, uh, action in the second half. Now that it seems like the season has been salvaged, at least from disaster, then yeah, I'm not expecting Grayer posh to get much time at all because i do think that bassy has played well um uh, generally speaking and so but also too like yeah when what's the best time to get these guys some work i would i would say like bemidji but that bemidji series is going to be the first series that st cloud is going to play in like three weeks so you got like a rust factor you're going to want to get bassy into action that's maybe not the best. I mean, the best time to have started Gray and or Posh would have been sometime in October. And seeing how Bassey struggled through that month, yeah, it would have been nice to get those guys some action then to at least get their feet wet. Um, in the second in the second point, though, how often can pneumonia happen to a starting goalie? So it's kind of like lightning <laughs> striking twice. Is that really good? If that happens again to St. Cloud, then we just got to give the show up at that point. So uh, I guess the odds are in our favor there. Um, okay. Fa- get, fair uh, starting goal is not going to get stricken <laughs> by a hospitalizing illness mm-hmm. on the eve. Of I mean, the, it, uh, if it would happen to any tournament. team, it happened to St. Cloud where like come down with polio or something like that. But. Okay, I mean yes. that's fair enough, but like some kind of fluke injury where no, I, I was I was kidding. I so, mean, obviously, I, I'd like to get these guys some experience because you never do know what's what's going to happen. Plus, I'm just more curious. Like, what what does Gray what does Gray have? I mean, he's we literally haven't seen anything from him. Yeah, um, not even in that red and black game uh, at the beginning of the year because I think he was still hurt. Still that's hurt. the thing. I don't even know if he still is hurt because that was kind of the the um, reason that. Posh was given the mop-up duty in Mankato. So, yeah, I'd love to see him at some point. Um, but mm, I don't know. As, as long as St. Cloud keeps up their winning ways, then it's probably less and less likely that we'll we'll see him. I don't know. We got that Miami series come up in the second half. I'm going to be in person for those. Maybe I'll see uh, – that'll be the unicorn of all unicorns to see <laughs> a, a backup goalie play one of those games. But uh, – I don't know. As we get to the meat of the conference schedule, I see that being less and less likely. Um, uh, I'm liking Don. Uh, uh, got for the leaker, but played well enough to put us in uh, position to win both games. Um, yeah, I thought he played well. He he certainly had some so, good saves, some some great saves. Uh, not sure, uh, go as he's woo. Not sure that he liked, uh, messy with, uh, or sorry, Husky messy, which is Molinar, um, with, uh, the Miatin in line. I agree. Um, I think that's got to go back to Okabe there. Um, I, and I think maybe it was just trying to, you know, jumpstart Okabe, get him a little bit more room. I mean, I guess it worked for Kuka, but, um, you know, it's, I, I, you know, for a pointless shootout, I was surprised not to see Okabe out there just as like, keep getting him in positions to like get a puck in the net. Cause I think that's what he needs. But, um, 
love the game tying goal. Um, uh, if they would have gotten a breakthrough goal earlier, um, they probably would end up winning. So, and I agree with that. And uh, also um, said VT and um, Gross had solid games as well. There were mm-hmm. his two, three picks. So, yep, I agree. So, uh, anything else to kind of put a put a bow on that? Anything around uh, college hockey that you kind of want to touch out? Men are off this week, um, which I think the you know if Salquist can go ahead and uh, tape himself up. Uh, give them a little bit of rest. That's that. That's a good sign. Obviously, I'm going to be watching um, uh, North Dakota Denver play this weekend. Uh, so that'll be a fun matchup uh, to just kind of see those two teams get at it. Um, which is interesting because Denver now has a new goalie coming in. Um, yeah. So uh-huh. that's uh, especially I think after uh, what's you know one of their goalies, one goaltender of the month or something like that. So um, what's his name? Hayuk? I'm not going to be in the net anymore. Halleck. Halleck. There we go. But who's been struggling, but I think he shut out Yale twice, but Yale is, is terrible. <laughs> I'd be more. Yeah, Halleck's been good against know. bad teams, but against decent teams, he's, he's not been so, so sharp. Just to circle I, back real quick. I, uh, I, I, I did find it really interesting that, Michigan Tech, Michigan or Lake Superior, uh, Michigan and Michigan State were all playing in Minnesota this last weekend. So just kind of kind of a weird situation. Michigan, Tech, Michigan Tech played Mankato. Mankato. Lake Superior played St. Thomas. Mid, or St. Thomas. Okay, and then Michigan State uh, at Michigan Minnesota. State yeah, at Minnesota. You're right. So who did? Oh, Bemidji played North Dakota. I was going to say maybe mm-hmm. like. Uh, they could have had Ferris play Bemidji or something too. Right. It can really gone all hog wild. Could have on done that. like a Michigan, a Michigan Minnesota hockey showdown where yeah. they can all play each other. Do a and... Northern Michigan Duluth. You know they've mm-hmm. already played this season already. So you could yeah go all hog wild on that. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I wanted to circle back on the attendance guess that we had. Oh, that's right. Because I think he won it. Because I'm looking at the Saturday. Uh, box score and the recorded attendance. This is CHN, so grain of salt, etc., etc., etc. Take your compliment or you take your complaints up with Woden. <laughs> He'll hear him anyway. <laughs> Excuse me, uh, you're making me, uh, you're, you're choking me up here. Uh, but uh, 44,014. and I think you you said it was like right under forty one hundred. I think I mine was a shade under 3,900. So I think you win this bet. You were closer. Hey. Congratulations. And there was much rejoicing. And there was much rejoicing. Yeah, and being in the building, I thought it was a good atmosphere. I mean, mm-hmm. and it wasn't like j- jacked up by a bunch of Michigan fans. I mean, there was a smattering. It's probably just like family of like Minnesota. They have a couple of Minnesota players on their team. But so it wasn't like a North Dakota situation where it's like a heavily partisan yeah. uh, chunk of the crowd that's uh, rooting for Michigan. I thought it was for a, for a holiday weekend and for a non-conference uh, opponent. I thought it was a, a decent showing. I'm, I Which, am sort of curious if if Larson wants to keep this weekend uh, going with uh, with home games. From his coach's show, it didn't sound like it. He said, "You know, normally we don't want to play on this weekend, but this was the only weekend Michigan had available, so we took really? it." Um, so it it sounds like it's not going to be this, or I guess I don't know for that aspect. But he did say, "You know, Michigan, you know, we are going there next weekend or next year." 
Um, and then also confirmed that uh, Boston College is is going to be on the schedule. Um, so really? Boston, Boston College is coming here next year, and we're going out to BC uh, the year after. It's, it's just BC? It's not like BC just and BC. Northeastern? Yep. Really? Wow, mm-hmm. that'll be... I might have to come back for that. Yep. And Bill Bill Prout on his uh, website mentioned, I think it was October 18th and 19th next year at Michigan. So mm-hmm. early season at Michigan. And it's a weekend that Michigan's football team plays on the road. So it's just a Friday, Saturday. There's no Thursday, no Friday, or Friday, Sunday shenanigans. That's, again, tentative. But um, at, at least at this point, it's looking like that's going to be early, like one of the f- – either the first or second weekend of the regular season. So that'll be an interesting return trip for them. But ah, first time hearing about that BC, look at you scooping. Mm. Yeah. Listening to the coaches show and then picking up a scoop. Wow. I mean, I don't think that's really a scoop. If, uh, well, you're scooping scooping it it in terms of you're scooping it to my mouth Ah, and I'm licking it up (laughs) and it'll be uh, probably a little bit better uh, tilt between these two teams than the first time that they played BC. Yeah. Where a, the thing called swept kind of a downhill the last couple of years of the Jerry York years and uh, sweeping them in St. Cloud and then kicking their butt out in BC. Uh, seven, seven, nothing, I think it was. It was that was a fun like game. I was there. Uh, but uh, with BC, I believe at now number one in pairwise. Uh, and we can, we can look at the pairwise. It's after Thanksgiving now. After Thanksgiving. So um, number one overall team with BC. I we probably won't see a lot of their big freshman studs next year because they're, uh, they ain't going to stick around too long, but um, <laughs> they seem to have a, a good pipeline set up uh, as they had in years past. So those, those should be, you know, certainly uh uh, intriguing matchups. So yeah, let me know if you have any other further scoops of the Ooh. schedule. You know, I'm all here for that. Yep, exactly. So, um, yeah, let's see what else. Uh, and then Omaha's playing at Minnesota Duluth as well, as far as the conference goes. If Duluth, can you get off the schneid? I mean, probably it's Omaha. <laughs> I've you're the oh, biggest Omaha fan of this show. I mean, that's you down on Omaha. I'm I'm starting to be a little bit down on Omaha, which really kind of doesn't make a lot of sense because they're like what eight and three this year. But took uh, care of Augustana. Yeah. For some reason, I think it was during that uh, show we did with the uh, KVSC guys that I thought that this was the weekend that Augustana was opening their new rink. That was incorrect. That was fake news. That was still at the regular Sanford Center for augustana so i don't know where i where i got that where i pulled that one out of but uh omaha took care of business sweeping augustana with that grueling non-conference schedule of theirs yeah Uh, but um i don't know i'd I'd favor them against duluth for whatever that's worth um Uh, that might be true i'll say they're gonna they're gonna take a majority of the points of that series Maybe I'm just still, yeah. still thinking about their three to two and five to four overtime wins over Long Island. Those, That's those were uh, those dicey. So. Um, yeah, we had some. I, I thought some marquee matchups this weekend. Um, you know, I watched a little bit of uh, UMass, kind of a fun game against Harvard. Come back to win that game. Your guys, UNH, uh, kind of averted complete disaster. Lost to RIT the first game. And then 
we're five seconds away from getting swept, but we're able to win to tie it up and then win in overtime. It dropped them in the pairwise, but um, they have heard a complete disaster there. Did you see the North Dakota Bemidji uh, game on Friday at all? I guess there was some controversy with the overtime winner who looked like a mile mm-hmm. offside, but territory decided not to challenge it for some reason, uh, which I thought was interesting. The, I mean, uh, you, you get an extra timeout in overtime. And the fact that you don't challenge, I mean, what, you, you challenged it at the, uh, at the uh, frozen faceoff? I mean, that was clearly onside. <laughs> like, you know. Well, the thing was that Saratori had an Uber waiting outside. Ah, and that's true. He, he needed to skedaddle. So, um, and you never know when Don Lucia is going to come back and and just kind of say, wait a minute. Nope, that doesn't count. <laughs> you got to come back onto the it's ice. Even not, not even their refs. It would have been not, an NCAC crew. Oh, but Lucia, though. Doesn't matter. Lucia, he, Lucia he, could pull some strings. Yes. Yes, he can. <laughs> How about that old WCHA matchup, Anchorage over Wisconsin, huh? Are you uh, you off the Badger bandwagon? Or is it just a, a one-game blip? Uh, it's a one-game blip. It's, it's, it's Alaska Anchorage. That can happen against Alaska Anchorage. Who hasn't been god-awful this year, but yeah. not necessarily that they're very good either. Uh, Mercyhurst beats Miami, uh, at least I mean, overtime. they were able to take Keeps... it down on Saturday, so... Uh, Miami won on Sunday, actually. Or are you talking? Are you still talking Wisconsin? Wisconsin. Yes, yeah, they they did win on on uh, Saturday, so we're able to salvage the uh, split there. Um, yeah, Michigan Tech swept Mankato, one of those in overtime. St. Thomas is the only team in CCHA to be above five hundred. Yeah, uh, which we're, I'm going to have to look into these scenarios there. Like what, what happens if they make the title game of the CCHA tournament? Does the second place team automatically yeah. get the berth or, or what? Do they revert to regular season standings? I, I, I have no idea what the contingency plan is. I'm sure that speaking to your boy, Lucia, he yeah, probably Lucia, didn't have, Lucia is probably going to pull some be, strings. <laughs> right. It's uh, again, in that league stupid should, rule in general. Like if they're if they're playing D one, let them make be eligible for the tournament. It, it's more of an indictment on the CCHA if you can't keep a <laughs> a team that just started. I don't. But it doesn't I mean like I I would see like being a putting a moratorium if you went from D one to D three, like you're yeah you're dropping down, but you know playing up. Moving up, I don't know exactly what the. It's not like you're trying to game the system. It's like I don't know what you're trying to, uh, who you're trying to fleece. And so, yeah, I I tend to agree. Although it is St. Thomas, and my tiny violin plays very faintly for <laughs> St. Thomas. Yeah, uh, my uh, RPI buddy, um, he's official now. He's on the fire Dave Smith bandwagon after Ooh. they lost nine to two. Northeastern scored nine times on Sunday. And uh, so he's done. He's had it and he wants a change. And so, and I said, I said to him, yes, that makes sense. And I'm sure it's a double kick in the nuts to see Ben Barr do so well at Maine because he was an RPI grad and he used to coach like assistant coach for them. And he was kind of like the obvious pick for them uh, when they made that coaching change five, six years ago. And, 
Uh, ben Barr's got Maine back to relevance while RPI loses nine to two to a bad, I should say, Northeastern team. So yeah, uh, we got the uh, we got the my RPI fan who's uh, now picketing uh, the games. So yeah, I thought a good weekend uh, all around. <laughs> so, unless you're an RPI fan, unless you're an RPI fan, so perfect. Um, switching over uh, the women's side now. Um, women have a incredible uh tough task um ahead of them uh at ohio state this weekend uh tuesday against minnesota golden gophers and then uh the eighth and ninth uh home against the uh minnesota duluth bulldogs so i mean these are three teams in the upper echelon of the wcha and um you know, you saw Ohio State really kind of flex their muscles, um, you know, so to speak, against St. Lawrence, who was, you know, kind of up there in the polls a little bit. And they were able to win in dominating fashion 16 to 1 over the weekend, 11 to 1, one, um, uh, one game on Friday, and then the Saturday game, 5 to 1. I mean, this is a team top ranked in the nation just puts up buckets of points and um, has only had one little hiccup to Colgate the first game of the year. After that, hardly been tested. Um, Haven't been, you know, in the whole month of November, they've only given up three goals and um, only three teams have scored once. um, And that was it. So it's, I'm going to be really interested to kind of see how they stack up, um, how the women's team stacks up against Ohio State. Again, um, well, I want to see if Grace Wolf, if uh, she gets back healthy, if she can play, but get Himmlerova back on offense, um, where I think she's a little bit more productive. And uh, we got to find some way to get the puck in the back of the net because we know Ohio State. Um, even with our goalie tandems that we have, uh, uh, they're going to be. Uh, going to be a very tough uh, task to slow down and it's going to be it's uh, a a tall order but I'm I'm excited to see where this week kind of goes for the women to see our measuring stick to see if they are able to compete here in the top half of the WCHA yeah it's it's a it's going to be a tough weekend (laughs) let's put it that way mentioning when we were uh, previewing Wisconsin marveling at their score sheet um I don't know if Ohio State has like the eye popping numbers that Wisconsin have. Keep that keep in mind though that Ohio State, you mentioned not getting tested, which I agree with, but keep in mind their I think their schedule's been more difficult than Wisconsin's. They didn't have a, a weekend against Lindenwood where everyone could pat pat up their stats with a sixteen mm-hmm. goal performance in one game. Um they had an eleven nothing win against St. Lawrence, and St. Lawrence is pretty good they're in yeah. the pairwise gate right now there are two non-conference games are against colgate and st lawrence were two quality teams colgate's number two in the country they're the only team to beat ohio state this year ohio state's on a 13 game unbeaten streak two of those wins in overtime but uh not only can they and, and they so they don't have like the the brita curl per se i i mean i would put um, Jennifer Gardner uh, in that same class. I mean, 150 point score across her careers, her fifth year, leading score from last year, 57 points. Um, you got Hannah and, Bilka as well. 
So they, I mean, they've been really good. They've been elite for the last three years. They won the national title in 2022, national runner-up last year. And now this year, I would think, especially after sweeping Wisconsin, best team in the country this year. Uh, and lost a fair amount, a lot of high-end talent last year, namely Sophie Jakes, who won the Patty Kazmaier Trophy from the from the back end, putting up an elite season as a defense as a defender and, and and lost some of their some of their top scorers as well. They were active in the transfer portal over the offseason. So is Hannah Bilka and Kiera Zanin. I wonder if she's related to Greg Zanin, former NHLer, but a good hockey name. But Bilka put up a 40 plus point season at BC last year. This is her last year taking advantage of her COVID year this year and fitting right in with this line with Gardner. She's on the top line and on the top power play unit with, uh, with Gardner and finding quite a home here in Ohio state. And then Zannon as well has been pitching in a 17 point season. They got her from Penn state two 40 point seasons back to back for a Penn state team. Yes. Plays in the CHA lesser competition, but to snag a, a talent like that out of the transfer portals, a, a coup as well. So they were able to not just replace talent, but sort of even maybe upgrade arguably in some areas. And I mean, they've, they've looked down the score sheet, so they don't have like the, we got the top lines got 10 points more than everybody else. They sort of spread their offense throughout the roster. I mean, you got a, you got a player like McKenna Webster, who 50 point year in the year that they won the national title two years ago, 39 points last year. She's only played in six games, um, you know, because of injuries this year, but you know, she had a great four point weekend this weekend against St. Lawrence. So it looks like she's back to, to full health. Uh, they're sort of running a, a goalie tandem similar to Chobak and a um, It's interesting. So they got this Reagan Kirk and Amanda Thiel, Thiel is who backstopped them to the national title two years ago and was their main starter last year as well. Um, but they're giving, they're splitting time now with Reagan Kirk, who which I find a little surprising. So Thiel's numbers, I mean, she's got a great goals against her save percentage is sub 900, which lets you know that this is a team that defensively just doesn't allow a lot of shots. And, you know, the, the numbers don't look pretty for Thiel, but that's basically two, two games where she, you know, the Colgate loss and then the Minnesota game where they won six to five and she gave up five goals. They're really the two bad blips on her statue, which is kind of skewing the numbers a little bit. You know, so if you see Theo playing one of these games and you look at the, oh, 898 save percentage, uh, don't think that we're getting a uh, an Atlantic hockey type goalie like Michigan was, was trotting out there this last weekend. She's a real deal. Uh, it's just that this team is, so good that they can they can win with any goaltender there and because they don't uh, give up a lot of shots um you know sometimes that the the save percentage can can get a little pear-shaped if uh, she has a, a bad game or just playing again those two teams that she played the two sort of subpar performances were against really good teams in Colgate and, and Minnesota so um, that might be one weakness. I would assume again, they've been doing a, a goalie tandem all year. So I'd assume that that's going to be the case again this, this weekend. But, um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm kind of shaking in my boots about this one. 
you were able yeah. to keep it close against Wisconsin, um, but seeing uh, Ohio State's performance this past weekend against St. Lawrence, um, they seem to be clicking on all cylinders and uh, playing at at Ohio State where they rarely lose. Um, it's it's going to be real tough. If they can get any sort of points out of this weekend, I'd be over the moon. Um, yeah. To be honest, I don't expect it because I do think this is the best team in college hockey. Um, and playing in their in their building, it's a tall task. But we've got the personnel, namely in net, to at least make it interesting. If you're going to win a game this weekend or steal some points, uh, it's probably going to have to be a low-scoring affair. You saw that the Colgate yeah. game that they were able to win was a 3-2 to game. It might – I'm not even sure if we can get three goals in this team. I mean – St. Claude's leading scorer is Himmlerova with 12 points. She's been playing at the point the last couple of weekends for uh, in favor of Grace Wolf for, for her injury. You know, Ohio State's got five players that have more than 12 points. It's just that the two depth more that have team, 12. Right. The depth that this team has uh, is, I mean, arguably un, unparalleled. You could put Wisconsin's offensive depth in there too. I think Ohio State's a better defensive team. Um, so, the task is is a tough one for sure, um, but sometimes you mm-hmm. uh, you improve by playing the best and going into yeah. you know the the home stretch, the three games after this series against the Gophers and then Duluth, all at home. Um, I think at least these games can prepare you for the for those games as well. So uh, I don't think that the Huskies are going to get torched this weekend although i'm saying like st lawrence is not a bad team and they lost by 11 in (laughs) one of these games yeah so but i'm not expecting something like that i I, and i really hope not but damn this team is uh, this ohio state team is good and uh wow let's see what the huskies got uh show me something this weekend if you if you are able to to get some points out of this i mean we we mentioned i mentioned this at the game when uh, when we spoke on Saturday, um, bad weekend for St. Cloud in terms of uh, Minnesota Duluth. Um, an impressive weekend for them against Colgate uh, with a win and a tie, very nearly a sweep. Uh, a last-minute extra attacker goal for Colgate salvaged that, that tie for them on Saturday. But as yeah. we just mentioned, Colgate's the only team to, to beat Ohio State this year. They're number two in the pairwise. Um, two or three, I, I haven't checked, but they're they're a solid tournament team. Um, either the class of the ECAC, them or probably Clarkson at this point. Um, and so I was rooting for Colgate this weekend because we're kind of been saying the whole year that Duluth is going to be the prime candidate for St. Cloud to jump uh, into tournament territory this year. And for Duluth to come out of that weekend with a win and a tie against Colgate, is go, going to it's go impressive. a long way. It's going to go a long way in their pairwise. So it's going to be harder, I think, for St. Cloud to to bump them off, uh, aside from just dominating them in head to head. But these wins for for Duluth make that task all that more challenging. So don't want to get ahead of yourself against uh, you know. I got that that that's next weekend. You got Ohio State this mm-hmm. weekend, but. Just with this past weekend, those results, I think, um, were disappointing from a St. Cloud's fan's perspective because, you know, that's a, you know, those are huge wins for Duluth. They'll, they'll uh, go a long way for their 
tournament hopes uh, come the uh, come selection Sunday. So that was a little disappointing, but as far as from a St. Cloud's perspective, if we could just at least be healthy, let's hope that Wolf is back. Hope that we can shift Himmelrova down to her natural position, hoping that, you know, you know, Lyndon Gentry have, have been sort of banged up and injured or ill, uh, sick, or let's just hope everybody's uh, full health. We've, we've had a, a lot of rest two out of the last three weekends have been off weekends. So let's hope that that bodes well for this big five game stretch here. And yeah, we can sneak out of a out of Columbus with a win or at least some sort of points. Like I would be thrilled, but I'm not exactly expecting it. Yeah, it's definitely I'm I'm nervous about this weekend, but also kind of excited because I again we can kind of see where we're at um, in in terms of uh, of the WCHA, uh, and you know I've always you know I said right away that I think. Um, I think we'd be able to overtake Minnesota Duluth. Now I'm kind of maybe second guessing that after their impressive uh, performance against Colgate, uh, because I mean, they've got a goalie tandem as well going on. That is, you know, you know, arguably just as impressive, but you know, we'll talk about Minnesota Duluth when we get to that point. Um, Cause obviously that's who you need to catch in the standings. So that's, uh, that's, that's big. Um, you know, when you're looking at the two dominant conferences in women's hockey, you have the WCHA and you have the ECAC and just not a good showing overall for the ECAC and non-conference. Um, like we talked about with St. Lawrence, we talked about, um, uh, we talked about uh, Colgate, but also Cornell um, as well. Um, uh, they, they lost Harvard lost, um, uh, both to Minnesota and I believe what was it Saint was Saint Thomas the other? Yes, the other. I mean Harvard's unbelievably terrible, so I wouldn't even Harvard, count them. Yeah. That Car- Colgate's obviously a, a contender though as well. Mm-hmm. And these are all um, you know road games for the ECAC teams. I mean it's like the longest trip they're going to make all year. So I mean, kind of trying to give them a little bit. Probably of the longest trip in women's college hockey. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and so. we saw that. I mean, with Ohio State, the very first weekend of the year for them, you know, dropping a game at Colgate with that long travel, it's just well, Lind- the way that it's probably further, actually. But anyway, right? But yeah, it's, it it's it, because it's so rare uh, in mm-hmm. in in the women's game. Um, you know, these kind of things can happen. I just didn't expect. Like I I was expecting when I tuned in to see the uh, Ohio State. Um, St. Lawrence game. I was thinking, at least thinking, I think maybe a little bit of a challenge for Ohio State here. I looked, I when I checked the score, it was already six nothing, and then when I checked again, it was eleven nothing as a final. I'm like, really no contest here, and look out if you're a Huskies fan. But uh, perhaps they just caught them off guard a little bit, and again, these holiday weekends can be a little fluky. I don't know. Again, I'm trying to spin this in the most positive light here because I think you're going to run into a real buzzsaw this weekend. Um, but uh, uh, but as it, far as like out of conference, you know, if we're going to be comparing, you know, I I would have gone into this weekend thinking the ECAC is comparable to the WCHA um, with the WCHA having a little bit of an advantage. Right now I'm thinking it's this gap is way wider than I originally thought. And maybe that's not fair over one, like you said, kind of a fluky weekend or whatnot. But 
I don't know, 11 to nothing. <laughs> a solid team and, and, and Colgate and to some it's maybe just that same, maybe St. Maybe St. Lawrence is a little overrated. Uh, yeah. You know, you look at their schedule, they don't have a ton of quality wins. I think their best win would have been against Quinnipiac. I mean, um, I think they're a decent team, but I, maybe they were a little playing above their, above their skis there for a little mm-hmm. bit. But um, I, th- I think Colgate's great. I think Clarkson is great. Um, but there's probably more great teams in the WCHA. If this, I mean, yeah, it was a good weekend for the WCHA and maybe that by extension helps St. Cloud a little bit. Uh, if, if this, if this w- makes the possibility of five WCHA teams more possible. That's yeah. I could see that argument Yeah. at the same time. St. Cloud's just got to win games. They can't yeah, just, they exactly. can't depend on the rest of the conference to buoy the, the strength of schedule. Cause I mean, we should mention too, the uh, Northeastern win in the icebreaker doesn't look as hot as it did back then. I mean, Northeastern has been pretty underwhelming this year in an, in hockey East, which is not the ECAC. Um, you know, they've been okay a couple of games over 500, but they don't even seem to be the best team uh, out of that conference at this point. So, and then losing to Mercyhurst, still sort of struggling in, in CHA. Union's not really, you know, doing much in, in ECAC. So their quality of wins right now, you know, certainly not as high as even Duluth. I mean, the, the, the win against Colgate's better than any win St. Cloud has this year. So, it's going to yeah. have to come down to can you win three out of four against Duluth in the regular season and maybe have to be, play in the playoffs as well. Can you beat the Gophers once or twice? You know, can you knock off? Can you do what you did last year and, and win a game in Wisconsin? You already had two two opportunities at home that you weren't able to cash in on. Again, I, I, I hesitate to sort of criticize these teams for blown opportunities because I think the competition they're playing is, is uh, not just elite, but – like as you're mentioning, clearly the best league uh, in the sport right now, and so yeah. it's just it's a tough learning curve. It's it's a steep learning curve, and uh, that might mean that this team is going to get better quicker. But as the way that this season progresses, you just kind of need to pick up the quality wins when you have the opportunity. And so again, I I, I feel like it's selfish to expect you know a split this weekend. Um, against Ohio State, but um, man, I'd love to see it. Yeah. Um, one thing that you were you kind of uh, stated about Ohio State and 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 the kind of makeup of their roster is that they were able to get a couple of players from the transfer portal, and I think it's one of those things that's kind of interesting in in women's college hockey right now with the emergence of the transfer portal and it being such a dominant league above and beyond any other league is that you're getting some of these premier players out East that want to play in the dominant league. So I think it's becoming more of a mainstay of, you know, transferring over to the Ohio States and, and I know Minnesota picked up a couple of transfers as well. So that's just going to be kind of something to watch as well. And hopefully St. Cloud gets some of that benefit too. If Adelski has this program going in the right direction, obviously CC Bowlby, um, was one Avery Myers um, was another one. That Hoffman. Were, um, I mean, they, they, they okay. were very, they were uh, feral. They were very active in the transfer portal. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, it's Avery Farrell coming from Franklin Pierce, you know, it's uh, Ella Anik going, you know, coming from Bemidji, 
It's not the 40 point players at BC (laughs) that they're necessarily in the running for, but Mm -hmm. the more that this program can become a legit contender, the more that you're going to be on those kind of players radar. So, and I I think Adelski certainly more than willing to play that and if we can get game. some of those yeah and if we can get some of those 20 point players who are he's able to coach up and put in a position to succeed to become 30 and 40 point players um that's something to kind of keep an eye on and keep watching speaking of avery myers um avery myers and jojo chobeck uh, i saw that they've got a podcast um uh now dump and change um i i saw it on youtube um i think they got the 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 husky productions crew as well there they got a nice little set um they got some flashy graphics um you know we got a we got a soundboard so i guess we got some more competition here in 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 this area um but i've already asked them uh quite a few questions um on their youtube channel and i'll probably ask a lot more they're gonna get sick of me they're probably gonna ban me but um I, it, uh, they had some kind of interesting nuggets and kind of the big thing was that they, they said they were approached by the coaching staff to start this podcast and just Adelski doesn't seem like the type of person to peel behind the curtains and see what goes on. Like, I don't know. He just seems like an old school kind of guy to me that he wouldn't want that much access. And, but I don't know, maybe he's maybe a it's little, all about access, he's a little hip Kelsey podcast is really uh opened up the ways for for some of these yeah you you might be you might be um you know thrown off by all the aggressive gum chewing behind (laughs) that man though is is a very hip uh and with it uh and modern coach um brian idolsky he lives for the moment. We're the ones, I mean, we're younger than him, but we're the ones with all the boomer references. So <sighs> yeah, let's true. get with the program here. Well, well, fair enough. So, uh, let's, uh, head to questions. Uh, we have a couple, uh, that I wanted to bring up, uh, uh, friend of the show, Michael, um, might have, might have missed this in the last episode. Um, pros and cons of NHL or Olympic ice. Uh, why did Mariucci kind of shrink down their ice? Um, you know, as far as like pros and cons go, I think some of it's a little bit overrated. Just it's 15 feet wider. Um, so there's pros and cons to it. Whereas, you know, it's a little more more room a little more space so there's a little more freewheeling you can enter the zone easier but also the con is it's harder to keep the zone because it's more space to cover i think the original thought process behind it was that it opens up the game more but wider ice i don't think does that because you don't i mean you still need to be by the net to score and wider ice doesn't get you that so um you know mariucci um uh, shrunk down, I believe, just because you know they had to do some updates and they want to get it more conformed to an NHL size, and that's where just everywhere is going. You know, Olympic ice kind of had their time when more of those uh, uh, rinks were being built, and and now it's becoming just more and more standard, and it's just slowly getting phased out. Um, St. Cloud went to the legislature and you know trying to get some money to kind of shrink their ice by three feet, so you know, a little, little slim down still, I mean, not dad bod ice even, but it's, it's still chunky for, for, uh, for that. 
but um yeah that's just just kind of my take on it i think i think a lot of it is overblown angles a little bit different and 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 how pucks can act off the boards but i think it doesn't take long to kind of adjust to that especially with players of this skill i think the overall aspect of it good or bad is overblown yeah i've been, i've i've touched on this it's i find it kind of a fascinating uh arc of Olympic ice and mentioning before about how college hockey prior to the seventies was, you know, they, they did not allow offensive. They did not allow body checking in your own offensive zone. They originally didn't allow it in the neutral zone either. That was until the sixties. And then they allowed body checking in both your defensive zone and the neutral zone. And then I think in 72, I think was the year they finally allowed checking throughout the entire rink. Which is kind I want to know if there's any like Bill Simmons columns about how this is ruining hockey. <laughs> I'd be, yeah, I'd checking. be. I'm really interested in what uh, some of the talking is. Sid Hartman might have an article back. <laughs> about how or I'm wondering if there was, if there was um, arguments the other way saying about how this crimped the, uh, mm. the, I don't know, reach or the potential of college hockey because you know, look prior to that. That's why if you were a college player, the pros sort of looked down on you as some sort of, you just, you weren't tough enough to play in the NHL. So that's why so few guys played in the NHL that were college players. Like red Berenson was like one of the few that made like a strong career in the NHL after playing college hockey. And so, you know, and that's 72. And then you have miracle on ice, 1980. So I think that, Playing, playing on the nat- on the Olympic ice, and because college is where where the national team was selected back in those days, uh, Olympic ice I think was preferred at the college level because this is a way to build your Olympic team, and and as you mentioned, it's it's a showcase or an opportunity to showcase speed over physicality uh, on the big sheet. I mean, a lot of people that are purists when it comes to Olympic hockey enjoy the bigger sheet because there is a little bit more speed and skill that's allowed there. Uh, you tighten the rink up a little bit more. It leads more to some, you know, mucking it up and some goonery and all that kind of good stuff. So I think that's generally what the mindset was, is that bigger ice led for skill and speed to shine the brightest. But and that's why we we had in the 80s, especially after the Miracle on Ice, um, the rinks that were built in the 80s or the early 90s, the big trend there was you got to go Olympic ice. It's it was it had a moment in, in that 10 to 15 yeah. to 20 year time period. So rinks like St. Cloud, Mariucci, uh, Nor- uh, New Hampshire, Northern Michigan, uh, if, uh, the Alaskas, both of them. If you had a rink built in that time period, uh, Cole Center, uh, Mankato originally, uh, you had a rink built then uh, between about 85 to 99, uh, you probably had an Olympic sheet when it was originally constructed. But as we see in the last 10 or 15 years, uh, the uh, skill of college hockey and the fact that, you know, what, 30 to 40% of NHLers have any NCAA experience. It's not as rare of a talent pool for the NHL. The game has tried to 
now sort of ape what the NHL does. And we've mentioned that with the shootouts and the <laughs> overtime uh, procedures. Yeah. This is just another extension of that where uh, I think a lot of coaches feel, even I, I think you scoff at this more than I do, but as far as like recruiting to a place that has an Olympic sheet versus an NHL rink, you have like the draftable draftable players that have NHL as their sort of main end point in their career. They might look at a, a Olympic sheet in college and be like, why should I want to play on something I'm not going to play at the highest level? So I think a team like Minnesota, who prides themselves in all their draft picks, uh, you know, don't stump my growth. Let's uh, let's shrink the rink and try to play it as, you know, someone wouldn't want to play baseball on a, on a field that had 100 feet base pads, you know. Uh, again, I'm trying, I'm more towards that mm-hmm. argument, but not to that extreme, obviously. I do think there's something to be said about it, but yeah. from your perspective, I do think Baseball it, it can Baseball outfields all have different it's dimensions. True. Maybe that's not the best uh, example, but uh, you wouldn't want to play, a, a football player wouldn't want to play in the CFL uh, as their minor league because that's a bigger field, right? Maybe that's a better example. I don't know. I could workshop that a little bit. But um, ask from, Warren Moon. I, yeah, they're Doug Flutie. Uh, oh. So uh, Bud Grant, I think he like won a CFL oh, yeah. title as well before he played. Oh, uh, Coach Dorktown. Anderson. Dorktown had a fabulous six, eight parter, maybe um, about the history of the Minnesota Vikings and all of it's just and had some fascinating Bud Grant stories. It was really it was really interesting to watch. If you, if you have about 12 hours to burn, highly recommend it. I think maybe it's only eight hours long. Put that, yeah. Put but, that in the uh, show notes, definitely. Yeah, but yeah, I, 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 I agree. It probably is a little bit overblown because, especially now we're playing these. Now we have these hybrid uh, rinks, and I will say the watching kind of Mariucci games from Mariucci this season, since they have shrunk it, it does look a little weird. Uh, it just it'll take a little bit to get used to, um, but. Uh, I'm just so used to it. They had like the real deep quarters too. Like yeah. even, even the uh, Olympic sheets weren't uniform, like a hundred percent because like Mariucci had deeper, like more like squarish corners. Whereas, you know, other rinks had more rounded corners. So there was even more like surface area at the Mariucci Olympic sheet than in, in other Olympic sheets. But as I mentioned uh, a couple of years ago, even the, this latest Olympics, the 2022 Olympics in, in uh, China, a couple of those rinks that they were playing were NHL size. So you're mm-hmm. even playing Olympic hockey on non-Olympic sheets anymore. So I, I think at that point I said by the 2030s, 2030, 2030 Olympics, I think, yeah, 26, 2030 Olympics, you're not even going to play Olympic hockey on Olympic uh, ice anymore. I think it's just, it's going extinct. And uh, the only thing that will keep it, going is if a team like a program like St. Cloud just can't get the funding to shrink it, uh, <laughs> which might certainly be the case here. We'll yeah. see, but they've, they're, they're shaking the can at the, uh, state legislature now and trying to at least get the, um, the refrigeration system upgraded, which, which needs to happen, needed to happen yesterday. And, yeah. Yeah. And at the, uh, at that same time, if you can shrink the rink down, I, I would be all for it. I know there's some, some issues like with Mariucci, when you do shrink it down, like the sight lines are sort of screwed up. And how do you, 
it's not a perfect solution. Like the best solution would be to build a new rink <laughs> from scratch. Yeah. That ain't happening anytime soon in St. Cloud. So how are you going to do that with, um, you know, modifying the playing service, but at the same time, maintaining good sight lines all you around. It's, it's not easy. Build it, build it where Q lot is. <laughs> so build a new building there and just kind of mirror it and then have that shrink it down. Yes. No issues. When you have 80, <laughs> 80 million to, uh, to, to dump, um, then we can get that. Taken no, care. I don't think the, the land should ever Cloud involve Q lot. <laughs> <laughs> just as a rule of thumb well and the thing they're like like they can't they can't dig deeper because of the water yeah. table so that's like that's mm-hmm. one solution is you just like dig a little deeper and then you could add some collapsible seating but you really can't do that here so you'd have to have some awkward empty space in one end of the rink and maybe when they're saying they're going to shrink it they're planning on or proposing to shrink it down to 97 feet i think it's kind of a half measure like at least get closer to 90, maybe not 85, which is the NHL width, but try to get closer to 90. Uh, 97 seems just like too small of a change, but they have other considerations as far as, you know, how can you uh, alter the seating arrangement as well without sort of affecting the integrity of the fan experience. And there's just not a easy solution to, to do that with the uh, configuration of the herb. So it's, it's a it's a tough one, but it's um, with now. Uh, I believe Alaska Fairbanks is the only other, um, along with Saint Cloud, the only other true Olympic sheet still remaining. New Hampshire a year or two ago they moved, they shrunk. Uh, Northern Michigan shrunk this last off season, and Marici, as we mentioned, just did. So even the last of the dinosaurs, um, they're they're going extinct. So uh, Saint Cloud's. One of the last remaining, and we'll see if right. uh, if their long quest here to get some funding to tinker with the ice is uh, successful or not. I don't know. I still like my idea of just ripping out one side, ripping out the bleachers or the the chairs on the bottom, moving everything in on one side, just pouring more concrete, and then you get a row of standing with like a bar rail uh, up at the top. I think I think we can make that work, but yes, more con- more concrete. Uh, that's the yes, solution to that's always to the, the solution. Just, it'll just, just induce, it, it'll improve those acoustics. Bounce off the yeah, the acoustics just bounce off more concrete, just make it even worse. Um, so uh, Title Nine hockey is St. Cloud better than Minnesota Duluth uh, women's team? Uh, I. Before this weekend, I would have said yes. Right now, if I were to pick, I would pick no. Um, mostly because Minnesota Duluth has a signature win. And St. Cloud's signature win is looking less and less, like you said, as a signature win. And we don't have that. So hopefully we get that this weekend. Yeah, I would but tend to agree right with now, you. Duluth has the upper edge. Tend to agree, and I. But we'll we'll be able to find out here shortly, like next weekend. Very we surely. got we got that first head to head tilt. That's what we're really going to see. Uh, who who stands out uh, in, in sort of that middle of the pack, the WCHA. So we'll find out. But I agree. I I would have I would like our October way too early picking the field show. Uh, I had them over Duluth. Uh, if we were doing a pick the show this weekend, I would have 
pick Duluth over St. Cloud. Sorry to say, but uh, yeah, they've been more impressive uh, in terms of their ability to to meet the occasion of. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, I mean, swept swept against the Gophers and swept against Ohio State earlier this year. Both of those home series as well. I don't think Duluth's perfect. Um, they're mm-hmm. certainly beatable, but um, some good uh, results this weekend against uh, Colgate sort of move them uh, ahead of the Packers uh, above St. Cloud just for the moment, though. But we'll find out here shortly really how these two teams match up. Yep. Um, next, Whiskey Dave, friend of the show, friend of the first show. Um, if there was a wing spinoff, what would it be about? Roy Jr., Lowell, Antonio, is it a comedy or drama? Does it last a whole season, half a season? Um, this is in reference to, uh, there was a Husky player, um, back in the first iteration of the show, uh, named Tim Daly, right. um, <laughs> who was Joe Hackett, um, uh, wings. So, uh, Tim D. De- <laughs> Stephen Weber uh, played played Brian uh, Brian Hackett, and they were they ran like a small town airport. Shenanigans ensued because it was Thomas Hayden Church was like the uh, mechanic, right? He's the guy that he ended up playing. He was the buddy in Sideways, uh, if you remember that movie. Um, He's Mm -hmm. he's had a decent career. Kind of came out of nowhere, but uh, that's I think where he got his start. That's really all I remember about that show. I I defer to you to my wings knowledge. Well, well, Tony Shalhoub was on that show. There you go. So it and was a it was a, a a breeding ground for some good talent. It was, yeah. I mean, I think it lasted. I mean, I remember. I think it lasted like seven seasons, and it had like a big send off final season of Wings. So it was it was a solid show, but um. I don't know. Like in my head, um, you know, you'd have Roy and Lowell. Um, Roy uh, ran kind of like the rival airline. <laughs> there were uh, the brothers, the Hackett brothers had you know one airline, and then Lowell was like uh, the ticket taker of another airline in this really small airport with the only two airlines. And Lowell was like the mechanic for both, and he was kind of your sidekick, kind of dumb character. Um, your What's his name from church from not church um, coach who was the, who, who, who was the you got me coach? and coach you think of like Joe Rogan on, on news radio on news. Yeah. Joe Rogan on, um, on news radio. So you always got to have a kind of the, the ape kind of character. Dauber, Com- comic on, there we, there go. we go. Yeah. Um, yeah, the comic relief. Uh, so I, obviously it would involve them too. Um, in my, in my opinion, that would be the spinoff. Does it last the whole season? No, I've got to imagine, <laughs> Maybe like a mini series. Oh, I've got to imagine yeah. this probably has at least been talked about and maybe <laughs> would have it. Cause I just heard that Frazier is getting rebooted. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously the Roseanne reboot. Now it's like the Connors. I think, uh, Murphy Brown was rebooted a couple years ago. That did yeah. not that did not last very long. I think just a season, but uh, it seems like they're, they're rebooting a lot of these nineties, eighties, nineties shows. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if they do. And from what the cast that you've mentioned, probably a lot of these actors are available. Um, what's the last <laughs> time you've seen Tim Daly in anything? So uh, probably get him, get, in, get throw him a couple paychecks. 
uh, and yeah, make everybody happy. I mean, uh, Shalhoub won just a boatload of Emmys on. He's probably yeah, he'd probably be the toughest <laughs> get at this point, so. but. Um, uh, Dan Jacobson, friend of the show, um, hockey related and not hockey related. My favorite, um, uh, one, can the WCHA get five teams in the tournament? Um, I think it's definitely possible. Um, especially, um, depending on some of the slides that's happening out East. And I think a lot of people, like I know title nine hockey, when, um, um, that account tweets, they're really sick of the WCHA dominance, but, um, you know, kind of where we're at right now, I do think that five is possible, but we need some signature wins from St. Cloud to prove that they can do that. Mm. Cause right now Duluth, I think is firmly going to be there. Yeah. You'd have, yeah. St. Cloud would have to pick it up here. And then also you'd have to have some continued struggles from ECAC teams. Cause if you're getting five in, then you're only getting three in the ECAC. Cause we're assuming that hockey East, uh, new and CHA are only getting one team in they're only, they're only getting one, which is likely, but yeah. I feel like it, I don't know it, because yeah, I mean, we, we have a little bit more non-conference left. We, we have some holiday tournaments, um, and so there's some opportunities still. I think Duluth's got Quinnipiac, which I mean they've they've actually played a decent non-conference schedule this year. Um, but um, so there are some op- like Correct. that'd be a good series for Quinnipiac because they're sort of on the fringe right now as well. Um, but it would depend on because I think Colgate and Clarkson are shoe ins the ECAC, and uh, but you know Colgate or as you mentioned Cornell struggled this weekend Quinnipiac. Yale, which I had picked earlier this year, they've been struggling, uh, struggling in terms of like, it's just a little bit on the outside looking in at this point, it's certainly still possible for them. But um, so it, it would take them, to, those sort of fringe teams continue to, to sort of stumble against lesser ECA, ECAC teams. Uh, in addition to St. Cloud and Duluth continuing to, rack up some impressive wins for that to happen. So I, I still, th- I mean, it's certainly possible, but I'm still going to say it's. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple things that has to happen. I do think it's possible though. And a non zero percent chance of it happening. Um, cause not hockey. What are your thoughts on CM Punk's return to the WWE? Um, I, I used to love CM Punk, um, but obviously once once you start feuding with everybody, you just kind of have to realize that you are the issue um, when it comes to it. So I think that's kind of the big thing that I'm looking at is he is burned everybody or had tiff with everybody that in every promotion that he's worked with. Um, wrestling fans love a nostalgia pop. They got theirs, and I feel like it's going to end in just a lot of misery um, on either one side or the other. But wrestling is the best when it blends that line of what's real and what's behind the scenes, what's, you know, um, and this is definitely riding that, and I think it's creating a lot of buzz. But eventually... 
he's going to play the victim somewhere down the line because that's what he does all the time. I mean, he sued his best friend over what a podcast or some, something along those lines when he sued Colt Cabana and that was a whole thing. So, um, um, any WWE thoughts or I think you about covered it. <laughs> that's, that's, that's about right. I mean, I, I don't really watch it as much as I used to. And I don't, CM Punk doesn't, just knowing how much he pulls behind the scenes, it's not really worth it. Um, in my opinion, I, I feel like eventually he's going to burn it. So it'll be a fantastic explosion when it does happen. Um, uh, Chester, how far can you throw your average teddy bear? Uh, I think it all really depends on the uh, size and the velocity of said teddy bear uh, to make sure you get a good angle on it. Cause like some of those huge ones or the small ones that are too light, it's, it's tough. You got to find the right teddy bear for the teddy bear toss, which uh, I thought was a pretty good showing yeah. there on 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 uh, Saturday's game for the teddy bear. I just I just wish they did it after the first goal for the home team, but it's just more spontaneous and more fun that way. I think. But and it would have been well that, that would you can't do that though because if you had had a game like Friday, then nobody would have had the opportunity to throw the first goal or the second or intermission maybe i don't know we could workshop it i don't probably 30 that. you do need some sort of like aerodynamic stuff to handle yeah. something like football shaped yeah, football shape can't be too large but yeah there is a there is a science to mm-hmm. it i'm sure so uh craig Hendricks, uh last question what's the recruiting process like uh how many kids are they talking to at a given time are they in a lot of blue chip prospects are they steer clear of those how do they approach players after games email through coaches it's always fascinating to me um yeah i can only really speak to my time at you know when i was a reporter for the chronicle um when i talked to some of the coaches about recruiting and things have changed so much but I would imagine they just kind of have a spreadsheet and they're always talking to the guys that are committed about when they're coming in and what's best for their development. Um, and also talking to people about, you know, when they're going to be, you know, kind of what their thoughts about leaving, um, if they are going to stick around or if it's best to pursue elsewhere, if it's not working out at a certain spot. So, um, you know, when I started with social media and the portal, I mean, obviously social media, Facebook, you need to have a .edu address. So it wasn't nearly as uh, common um, as, as it is now. Nobody had an Insta. So, um, you know. And now you can't, if you have an .edu address, you can't even get on Green Ground. Oh. That's against their terms oh, of service. Really? So, Just right? no bookworms allowed there. So, um. So yeah, it's so it's a completely different beast um when it comes to it, but um as far as, you know, blue chip players, you know, St. Cloud, you know, it, it feels like a lot of those teams um like a lot of those players that go to like the national development team do tend to go to some of the the Michigans or the Minnesotas or the Boston Colleges and whatnot, but over the last couple of years Minnesota Duluth has gotten some players out of there. St. Cloud, we're getting our first one um, with Bernovic. I believe he signed in a, uh, a national letter of intent, so he'll be coming probably next year. So um, it's getting a little bit more and more um, because obviously, I don't know, I, they kind of harped on this in the podcast or on the, the broadcast too. It's like the blue buds of college hockey and whatnot. And it's like, I mean, 
Yeah, the St. Cloud still, I mean, we've been around for, you know, 40-some years. So, I mean, it's not the same type of, you know, in the 90s where it was, you know, much different. So it's kind of a, a little bit of a different aspect when when it, when it comes to that and, you know, people who, like, get into the, the Golden Gophers, for instance, they can talk about their history and whatnot, but it's not like they've had a national I mean, their last title was 20 years ago. I mean, their their commits weren't born yet. So it's it's just kind of one of those things that I, I think as just more and more opportunities pre- presents itself, more and more uh, people will commit. So we might get into being some of those blue chippers um, eventually. But, you know, I think uh, Larson kind of gets into his own little areas of where he likes to recruit out of Canada, out of the Alberta junior hockey league, which I don't think we really normally have. And so it's, um, you know, I just feel they always say the college hockey world is small, you know, kind of running into the same people at different rinks um, all over the place. And it's always a time recruiting. So I, I just imagine it's a whole big mess of rules of what you can and cannot do. Uh, and I am way too dumb to understand it. Yeah. And it's a lot of changing dynamics too. Uh, I know that they've recently in the last, I don't know, five, six years have uh, tightened the window. Cause you, there was a time there, Oliver Wallstrom, I think was the kid's name. Who's I think 13 when oh, Maine yeah. originally recruited him. He ended up being like a BC. He didn't play for Maine. I think he may have switched his commit a couple of times, but you had, a couple of these 13, 14 year olds where, you know, a lot of coaches are kind of like, let's, let's wait off. Let's hold off a little bit on this. And so they have tightened it up. I think it's like either 16, uh, maybe the sophomore year in, in high school, I think is like the minimum time that you can reach out and contact a potential recruit. I'm not sure exactly what the, what the uh, age is, but there is uh, a higher, um, age limit or minimum um, than there was previously. So they have been tightening it up a little bit, but yeah, it'd be interesting. Like the life of a college coach. I mean, they're always recruiting, especially like an assistant coach. You mentioned like the Alberta, that's kind of Shyak's, um a hot spot where he likes to, to do a lot of his recruiting um, assistant coaches. Some of them like Anga, I know last year had a couple of weekends where he was not behind the bench and he was off on a recruiting trip. It's typically Shyak and Larson, obviously. I mean, other than if Larson's coaching at the world juniors, which she is this year again, but Larson's going to be there every weekend. Obviously Shyak's going to be there every weekend, but the uh, third and now fourth coaches on staff will, will alternate. No, they might not even be at a St. Cloud series that weekend. They might be off on a recruiting trip. I'm sure this coming weekend when they're off St. Cloud's not playing, I'm sure they're all going to be hitting several rinks uh whether it be ushl or nhl maybe, or high school maybe the coaches, high schools starting up. maybe the coaches can do the uh hot dog review that kbsc does there you uh, go as, as well oh, i'm sure they are well aware of, <laughs> of all the uh different high school rinks around the state and the nhl rinks all the junior rinks uh I'm sure they're well, well versed on all of that. I remember going to the Robertson cup a couple of years ago when that was still at Braemar down in uh, Edina, that's the NHL kind of final four uh, 
frozen for, let's say uh, equivalent. And that's, that's essentially like a coach's convention. You see all these coaches there that, especially in that league, you're, you're recruiting a lot of guys right out of that league. Whereas USHL, you might've recruited them prior to them getting into USHL and you're kind of watching their development. A lot of times the NHL, you're, you're recruiting guys, you know, based on the strength of uh, how well they do in that league. So depends on the player. It depends on if you're just going there to scout guys from those leagues in particular, I'm sure it's a never ending yeah. thing. And then the contacting of the, you know, I'm sure you got kids that you're contacting, you're dealing with parents, you're dealing with their other coach, you know, junior and, and um, prep coaches. It's a lot of networking that you're doing. And I, I, I'm just kind of fascinated on that. It, it'd be kind of a, it'd make for like a fun, I don't know, like, did you ever read the book Ball Four, like a diary of a baseball nope. player? It'd be kind of fun, like, to do something like that where, like, a college coach does, like, a diary of all of his recruiting stops in the season and all the hot, and all dogs, the hot dogs that he's eating dogs and all the recruits that he's making contact with. It would be uh, kind of fascinating to get the blow-by-blow uh, blow, uh, account like that. So, yeah, it's uh, above my pay grade. I, I'd love to know more about this, um, but uh, a good question and, and something that's always in flux with the uh, with the uh, you know new technology and, and all that. So it's, it's a very uh, interesting um, subject. I wonder, I wonder if... Uh... If like Cindy Wolf, Cindy Wolf might have a, a like an interesting yeah. perspective or a lot more information when it comes to how, like the fact like, yeah, she like scours line charts. I swear, hours a day just to see if there's any suspicious uh, removal of college logos on commits names. I so it's. So she might be an interesting one to kind of hit up when it comes to that process. So, well, that about does her on this episode of the about does Hockey Podcast. We've been workshopping also a new name uh, for, for the podcast. I like the Fat Ice, the Huskies. Uh, Fat Ice, colon. <laughs> it's a good one. <laughs> the Huskies Hockey Podcast because, uh, you know. I think we've always, we've got to keep that as far as at least the subtitle. Yeah. But we could jazz it up a little bit. I mean, we got, we got the... Um, dump a change podcast started and it's kind of raising the bar of, uh, you know, titling your show. My idea was, um, cloud nine. I'm with the, uh, with the sound effect in the background. It would be a perfect uh, title for a a podcast on the St. Cloud state baseball team. But, um, but at least with our experience with, with doing, with running the nine bit into the ground, uh, some of our hardcore fans would at least at least get the bit. Um, so it's and you got cloud, cloud. You know, half of it's like spot on. So um, that's a possibility. We're still workshopping it. If you've got uh, better ideas, please yeah, let yeah, us know. Yeah. And then when we shrink it down three feet, it'll be the dad dad bod ice pod, or the chunky be the spare, spare tire. tire. There uh, we go. <laughs> the chunky, yeah, the chunky, chunky pod. pod. The still chunky, yeah, chunky still, ice. Still pod, chunky. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Like the, I should feel good at myself because I had a salad for lunch instead. Ice. It's yeah. <laughs> kind of, kind of what it comes down to. Uh, I'm Weldy at more clappers, M O A R more clappers. Andrew, you can reach him at. At Andrew at greenground.com <laughs> as well as uh, huskies hockey podcast at gmail.com. Send in your uh, request. You can send me an the email pod, there for the pod name. 
So, yes. Do until that. next time, go Huskies. Woo! Oh, woo.